This is Steve Adubato, and this is, in fact, the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour. What is that? Um, well, we're going to be talking about leadership. We're going to be talking about the challenges that leaders face every day, uh, whether you're running a department, whether you are an entrepreneur, whether you are thinking about taking on a leadership position, you're not particularly happy in a middle management position, you want to move up. What does it mean to be a leader? That's what the Leadership Hour is all about. I am honored, pleased to be joined by um, my colleague, Mary Gamba, who has been with me. Mary, how many years has it been? 19 years. I thought you were going to say too many. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Mary and I run a company. It is called Stand and Deliver. And if you can go to our website, Mary, what is it? Stand-deliver.com. Just testing. Stand-deliver.com. We won't sell you anything. We won't pitch you on anything. It's uh, a series of articles that are free. It talks about all of our books. Uh, The most recent book, which took about two years to write, is called Lessons in Leadership. Did you forget already? (laughs) You you know what it is? We're doing this as a radio show, which is later a podcast. Mary and I are looking at each other in a studio, and I'm like, am I supposed to point to her and say, you're on, Mary? (laughs) Um, But Mary and I talk about leadership every day. We talk about communication, a big theme as it relates to leadership. We deal with these issues all the time. We run two companies. One is Stand and Deliver, and the other one is the Caucus Educational Corporation, which is a not-for-profit Um, public television production company. We're affiliated with PBS stations in the region, Fios, as well, a bunch of radio stations, particularly our friends at... AM 970. And we're being heard right now on AM 970. Our great friend Jerry Crowley, the general manager there, and the team has given us the opportunity to broadcast this program on Sundays at 2 p.m. on AM 970, and uh, what a great audience there. So the bottom line is we'll be talking about such issues as, Mary and I, let's go back and forth. I've got a list of items we're going to be talking about, but we also want to hear from you. We want to know what you want us to talk about, what leadership issues you think we need to explore. And uh, the way to do that is to go on our website at stand-deliver.com or to email me at Steve Adubato, that's A-D-U-B-A-T-O, uh, at Gmail. Some issues. Mary, I say strategic leadership. You say what? In terms of topics, or you want me to talk about strategic leadership? How would you describe? We talk about being strategic all Mm -hmm. the time as leaders. It's about being, we talk about strategic agility a lot. Today, perfect example. Lots of changes, (laughs) lots of things going on right now. Production schedule. Yeah, until about 30 seconds ago. It was extremely exciting, but it keeps things new, energized, and being a great leader means that you are really able to be agile when it comes to changes. Don't hit that panic button and be strategic about the next decision that you're going to make. You know, it's funny that Mary says that Mary and I always talk about having a plan, a strategic plan, an operational plan. And I'm a stickler um, to, I'm sure, not always such a healthy degree of it. I'm I'm a big picture person, but I'm a I'm an in the weeds micromanager, and I'm big on having a plan. But then you have the plan, and what happens? If things go awry, which they often do in work, at home, wherever. If you didn't have that plan to begin with, though, it would make it a lot worse when something does go wrong. So if you have that plan, if you have the outline, then at least you can say, okay, we need to adjust, we need to tweak, we need to flip-flop two different things. But if you don't have a plan to begin with, you're just going to be scrambling and you'll never get anywhere. So some of the topics will include, as Mary said, strategic agility, strategic leadership. How about running meetings? That meetings are terrible. You hate being in that meeting. This meeting stinks. It goes on forever. I don't know the point of the meeting. We'll talk about how to make your meetings more effective. We'll talk about 
how leaders need to be effective public communicators, the fear, the anxiety that so many people mm -hmm. have. I do a lot of executive coaching and leadership development for a range of uh, companies and organizations, many of whom you'll hear the CEOs on the uh, Steve Adubato Leadership Hour. In fact, one of our friends will be joining us in just a few minutes, Larry Downs, who is, in fact, the CEO of New Jersey Resources. Mm -hmm. Larry wa became the CEO at 37 years of age. Let's just say it's been 20 years and a little bit since then, and he still has the same level of passion. So we'll be talking about um, how leaders lead, how they still have the intensity they have, the search for excellence that they have. We'll be talking about uh, what I like to call artful confrontation. Artful. Say, yes. <laughs> Wait, artful, on. that's what we're calling it these days. <laughs> I like that. You know, Mary and I have had an ongoing 19, 18, 19-year discussion mm -hmm. about how to confront performance issues, mm -hmm. how assertive, dare I say, aggressive you should be. Go ahead. Artful. Uh, I, I'm going back to the word artful. Um, no, I think it's not it, always artful. On it's my part. not Go always ahead. artful, but you can call it whatever you want. You're the boss. That's fine. Um, but no, that I think it's patronizing. But <laughs> <laughs> and I do. I think that it is extremely important to have those difficult conversations with your team. It's part of coaching and mentoring and being a true leader means having those conversations that are difficult for the other person to hear. How about all the people? As I said, in the executive coaching I do, so many of my clients, our clients at Stand and Deliver, they'll say, I just am so uncomfortable confronting people. I don't want to have those difficult conversations. I'm saying, then why are you telling me that Jim or Jane or whomever isn't doing the job, it's hurting the team, it's hurting the organization, but you don't want to have a difficult conversation with that person because they may be upset and you may be upset and they may not like you, you say. It doesn't work that way. A lot of those same people that you're talking about six months, a year later, end up having that same issue with that employee month after month after month. So if you really want to be a true manager, leader, and make a difference with your team and lead your organization forward, you can't be afraid to have those challenging conversations. In fact, one of the chapters, hopefully our audience won't be uh, uh, turned off by this or upset, uh, one of the chapters in uh, my book, which Mary was a key to, helping me write over a couple of years, Lessons in Leadership. One of the chapters is comes from a quote that the great General Colin Powell gave me, and I interviewed him about leadership several years ago, and he said, Steve, sometimes great leaders piss people off. And I said, General, what do you mean by that? And he said, I'm not saying they do it intentionally or just to be contentious or argumentative. He said, if you want to be liked, if you want to be popular, if you want to be the person everyone says, oh, I love that Steve, he's so great, you can't be a leader because sometimes you have to make such tough decisions that people are not going to like. You tell them things they don't want to hear, and they are peeved, to use a more appropriate word on AM 970 and in the podcast. It's hard to be popular to all the time when you're a leader, right? Yeah. And I think you hit it on the head when it comes to being a leader, the all the time. Yes. At times you do want to make sure that you're being empathetic to the needs of your employees, but oftentimes you do have a challenging situation that you need to address. So if it's going to make some people upset, you need to make sure that you're delivering it in a way that you're letting them know the need and the necessity of making whatever change or dealing with whatever issue. And before we uh, go to our friend, Larry Downs, a couple other topics we'll be talking about. By the way, again, reach out for us on uh, the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour. Let us know what you think we should be talking about by emailing me at steveadubato at gmail or going on to our website, stand-deliver.com. By the way, in the second 
half hour of the Steve Adubato leadership. I, can't, I don't like to keep saying the Steve Adubato leadership. On the leadership nice hour. I think it to it. <laughs> um, but on the second half hour, you're going to actually hear a broadcast that uh, is called State of Affairs with Steve Adubato. <laughs> <laughs> I'm noticing a trend here. Uh, yeah. But State of Affairs is a program we do in conjunction with our colleagues at Public Broadcasting, in which we interview leaders in government, federal government, state government, all different walks of life. And those leaders are dealing with difficult challenges every day. So State of Affairs is going to be coming up in the second half hour. But listen, we are talking about a whole range of other issues. We'll get to them in just a little bit. But we're going to be going to our friend after this very brief break in the Leadership Hour, Larry Downs, who is the CEO of New Jersey Resources and Energy Company that covers several counties in the state. And he has been a leader for a long time. This is Steve Adubato. I'm here with my colleague, Mary Gamba. And I'm amazed that she's here with me and she's not even getting paid. We'll be back after this. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. This is Steve Adubato. We are back with the uh, Leadership Hour. I'm here with my colleague, Mary Gamba. You're listening to us on the radio on AM 970, um, just about the best radio station coming out of New York City. And uh, we're talking every aspect of leadership that you need to know about, that you want to know about. Uh, go online to uh, our website at stand-liver.com. Follow me on Twitter at Steve Adubato. And on Facebook, Steve Adubato, Ph.D., that's A-D-U-B-A-T-O. And way more important than all this plugging, the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour for the first time, our radio show podcast. Mary, could you imagine that our good friend Larry Downs is our first guest? Larry Downs is the chairman and chief executive officer of New Jersey Resources. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, Steve. How are you? Good. After all these years we've been working together, I've been doing coaching and leadership development over at uh, New Jersey Resources. You've been the CEO since you were 37 years of age? Yes, yep, 23 years ago. Uh, so let me just say this. We talk about leadership offline a lot, Larry. We talk about leadership in sports and business and in life, uh, parenting, <laughs> leadership issues, uh, a whole bunch of things. Right out of the box, let me ask you, why is it that after – all the years that you've been the CEO, you've been a leader, you continue to read about leadership, want to know more about leadership, you're more curious than ever before. What's that all about? Well, it starts with a, a definition of leadership that for me has evolved over, um, you know, over the last two decades. And it's based on three simple concepts, learning, teaching, and sharing. Uh, and when you examine each one of those pieces of learning, teaching, and sharing, that to me is the essence of, uh, of leadership. We all have to uh, continue to learn. We do that every single day. I do that in many ways, including uh, reading. Um, that equips me to, uh, to be able to teach uh, others, which is an important element of leadership. And then finally, is uh, sharing is the glue that binds the learning and the teaching together. Let's stay on this. We, uh, to fully disclose, um, at New Jersey Resources, as well as a range of our other clients at Stand and Deliver, who frankly have made this radio show podcast and the Leadership Hour possible, um, we spent a lot of time coaching people, mentoring people, and frankly, Larry, um, dealing with some very, let's say, difficult issues, meaning people's presentations in public and the need to be 
uh, to carry more executive presence in board meetings, et cetera, et cetera, getting over people's anxiety. Why do you even have a leadership academy at New Jersey Resources, and why is developing future leaders so important? Well, I think there's, there's a number of things. Um, first of all, it starts with you know my own philosophy of leadership uh, when we talk about any type of organization, uh, and that's that everyone in the organization is a is a leader. Um, it doesn't matter what your role is, uh, to the extent that you have a part, and every um, member of an organization does have a part in helping uh, the organization achieve their their mission. Um, they are a they are a leader. Um, now, having said that, uh, there's a lot of training, there's a lot of tools, but I think that um, uh, the whole um, concept and approach is helped by the way people view themselves in the, um, uh, in the organization. Um, and that's worked well for us for a long period of time. Uh, Larry, great leaders, born or trained? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both, to be honest with you. Um, I think that uh, you, know, you can have a, people are born with leadership skills, uh, but there are certain techniques and, and training that are necessary for them to learn. For me personally, um, I spend a lot of time uh, reading about others, uh, successful leaders, and, and situations, quite frankly, that were not so successful to see what I can learn from those situations. Um, what I like to uh, describe this as is what I call a, a leadership code, and everybody has one. It's personal to each uh, individual it's not just about books or seminars, but it's, it's really uh, formed around and developed really every day from a, a collective uh, set of unique experiences, and it's always changing. But, um, but that code that you have, that leadership code, mm. um, you live by that, and it guides, I think, everything that you do in your life every day. Uh, Steve Arbato here. This is the Leadership Hour. I'm here with my colleague, Mary Gamba, and we're on the phone with uh, Larry Downs, who is the chairman and chief executive officer at New Jersey Resources. By the way, let folks know what New Jersey Resources is. I don't want to assume, Larry. Well, our main business is a, uh, a natural gas utility, a New Jersey natural gas company. We serve primarily uh, Monmouth and Ocean and uh, Morris counties in the state. Uh, but we also have a, uh, a fairly large solar business uh, where we do business in every uh, every county in, mm-hmm. uh, in New Jersey now. Um, and in addition to that, we have a, uh, we've got an energy services and a, a midstream company as well. You know, Mary, I'm going to bring you into this. You were recently at an event that Larry, I believe, was the chairman of or the event chairman of Executive mm-hmm. Women of New Jersey. Of New Jersey. Executive Women of New Jersey. Talk about women and leadership. Larry, you got involved in this, um, and our good friend Micheline Davis uh, from RWJ Barnabas Health will be joining us in another and different uh, edition of the Leadership Hour. She is the uh, president as we speak right now. And you were very much involved in that event. You spoke at that event. I believe the First Lady of New Jersey, uh, Tammy Murphy, was there as well. What's up with you and your commitment to promoting women in leadership? Well, I think the, the first uh, thing to point out is that uh, uh, gender diversity is only one element of a, uh, a diverse organization. Um, and having a diverse leadership team, as we do here at the company, that is inclusive of women, I, I believe that is critical to the success, the success of any organization. Uh, specifically with regard to our women leaders, um, they bring talent, expertise. There are different insights and understandings that uh, they really allow us as a leadership team and as an organization to to challenge our collective thinking, uh, which ultimately leads to better decision making and uh, and and produces stronger results. 
Um, it's something, Steve, that's evolved over uh, really many years, uh, over the last two decades. But um, improving the diversity in the uh, in the company is something we're focused on literally every single day. Uh, you know, I, I've come to believe that uh, uh, diversity inclusion that strategy is a is a journey, but it re- it requires focus uh, because it's so critical to our future. Absolutely. And I was just going to ask, Larry, I was at that event and just was so inspired, as I'm sure you were, by all the speakers and organizations that were there celebrating women and diversity in business. What do you think some of the keys are to that when it comes to celebrating women and to recognizing women both inside and outside of the organization that you work with? Well, I, I think you hit the uh, you hit one of the key points. The, the the purpose of the the dinner and you know WNJ is such a fine organization. Micheline Davis is one of the the best leaders in our, in our state. Absolutely, but it is about taking a step back uh, to celebrate, to recognize what has already been accomplished. We had, as you know, Mary, the speaker there was just absolutely inspiring about the things that she's accomplished in her own life. But part of that celebration has to. Uh, recognize that we still have uh, a long way to go uh, and that the dinner itself says, here's where we are right now, uh, but it makes it clear uh, that more focus, uh, more passion needs to be brought to that um, uh, to continue to make uh, make progress. Larry, I don't know if I can get a simple answer to this. Mary and I talk about it all the time. Do you think men and women at the core lead differently because of gen- their gender? I don't see. I, I don't know if it's because of gender. I think people lead differently uh, because of their uh, experiences, and that goes back again to the learning, teaching, and sharing. We and, and that 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 concept again, with with its simplicity, recognizes that we all have different experiences that we um, that, that we bring to the table, uh, and to the extent that we can that we can share those through the teaching uh, aspect of that leadership model, the better off we're going to be. So I wouldn't say it's just, it's gender. It's, it's really the, the, yeah. the collective uh, uh, amount of experiences that, uh, that we've had, whether we be men uh, or women. You know, it's interesting, uh, Mary, I don't know if you know this, but Larry and I uh, talk about this a lot offline, and I'm convinced of this because of the coaching I do, executive coaching, leadership development. I always ask people, tell me where you went to school. Tell me what your experiences were. Were you involved in activities? Were you involved in student government? Were you involved in sports? How did you deal with adversity? Larry went to Bergen Catholic in, uh, up in northern New Jersey. I went to Essex Catholic in Newark, New Jersey. It doesn't even exist anymore. It's hard for certain Catholic schools to keep it together financially. But Larry and I often talk about what we learned from the Christian brothers. And I'm not going to turn this into a religious uh, discussion, but I know Larry's approach to leadership, my approach to leadership, our approach to high standards, getting things done, following up, following through, and frankly being pretty assertive in that process, even though our styles are clearly not exactly the same. Am I making too much of your education background? And by the way, you also went to Iona College up in New Rochelle, which I did as well, also run by the Christian brothers. Uh, anything, any connection between that educational background and your leadership style? Before I let you go, Larry. Yeah, I think you know, as as I look in the uh, in the rearview mirror, you know, there were those were some some very formative times for me as an individual, um, and two things came out of both uh, Bergen Catholic and and Iona, uh, and that was really to understand the uh, uh, that leadership is on the outside. It's not it's not an internal uh, uh, concept. It's on the outside. Um, and learning those experiences, I also learned just the nature of uh, both schools' missions, 
um, is the need for empathy. And so mm -hmm. if you bring those two things together, focus, an external focus in our case in the company, we refer to it as our stakeholders, um, but the empathy that brings along with it, um, uh, that supports the company's overall mission. But I'd say absolutely. I learned a lot in those, uh, in those days so long ago. And by the way, one more thing about Larry. Um, I'm a big fan of leaders of any stripe having to have the energy, enthusiasm, and passion to do what they do every day. Larry and I also share something else. We are, are avid. You know where I'm going with this, right, Larry? Oh, absolutely. Uh, we, Larry convinced me. I was doing a seminar down at New Jersey Resources, I don't know, a year ago. And we were talking about exercise and working out because we are, we are middle-aged men, as you may not have recognized, Mary. And Larry goes, hey, why don't you get the Peloton bike? And we're not going to turn this into a commercial for Peloton. But Larry's on that bike every day. He also rides out on the road. And I went and bought that Peloton bike. And I will tell you, I don't start the day without being on that bike or whatever it is you do, whether you walk or you run or you whatever exercise. How important is that? I know I keep saying I'll let you go, Larry, but how important is it for you to be the leader that you are by staying as healthy as possible? It's, you can't do one without the uh, without the other, and Peloton is one part of that. I mean, when you talk about leadership, uh, you talk about the model that Peloton has put together. That is the essence of uh, of leadership in an external uh, external focus. Um, but you've got to be at your best all the time, you know, both not only physically but uh, uh, but emotionally. Uh, and I, I put all of that collectively into you know the kind of the bucket of uh, you know of discipline. Um, but without that, you're without that the, mm. the, the physical fitness that side of it. Um, you're not going to be your best. Hey, Larry, uh, who is the best leadership coach that you've ever interacted with over the years? Uh, besides you, Steve. No, I meant me. There's a reason it's called the Steve Autobato's Leadership Hour, Larry. Come on. That's exactly right. Well, I was fishing too hard. I have I have learned a tremendous lot amount from you, seriously, and that learning goes on, you know, to this day because I'm always sharing my examples. What you have taught me is, you know, in many ways the softer side of leadership. You know, really the need for passion. I used the word empathy earlier. That uh, understanding that leadership has such an important uh, human element uh, if you're going to be real. Without that, uh, you're not going to get too far. And let me also say that Larry has worked on his public presentation skills for well over a decade. I mean, he's been doing it for years, but since I've been coaching with him and his company, I've never seen a CEO work harder to be the best communicator he or she can be in public. Hey, Larry, listen, I want to thank you for joining us on the Leadership Hour, being our first guest, kicking things off. Um, how are how are Mary and I doing so far? I just want to know. I think you're doing great. I mean, it was uh, you're asking the uh, you're asking the right questions. Uh, leadership is clearly an art, not a science. Um, but if you if you keep it real, I started with uh, I started talking about everyone in an organization being a leader. That simple concept, which there haven't been books written about that or anything else, mm. uh, changes the dynamic. Uh, of the organization. People view themselves uh, differently. But uh, you've brought that out uh, very well and to the extent that uh, this has been helpful to your listeners. I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity. And thank you for having the confidence in Mary and me and in our company, Stand and Deliver, to allow us to, to do executive coaching and leadership development at, at uh, New Jersey Resources. That is, in fact, Larry Downs, who is the chairman and CEO of New Jersey Resources. Thank you, my friend. Take care, Steve. Mary, take care as well. Thanks very much. Thanks, Larry. So it's so interesting. 
you know, Larry's been at this for 23 years, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I just learned so much. I, I was taking notes. Uh, as you always do. As I always do, because if not, I can't remember what happened five minutes ago. Some takeaways. Alone. Yeah, absolutely. The passion, uh, being passionate, being human, I think a lot of that is lost on today's leaders, uh, both worldwide and very locally. I think that having that human personal connection and getting to know people, we talk a lot about relationship building. And <laughs> you cannot... If you don't care enough to get to know about somebody, that human connection is never going to happen. If you don't care enough to know what's going on with them, with them, with their family, it, it's just never going to work. You could work 24-7 and it's not going to work. You know, stay on that. Um, I'm a big fan. Leaders have to hit the bottom line. They have to hit the numbers that, you know, they're, they're pressed by their board or whomever. They have to pay their employees. Mm. They have to pay their health benefits, pension benefits, et cetera, et cetera. But if you don't do that with a sense of compassion and empathy, it don't work. It just does not work. You know, it's interesting. I, years ago, I think I told you this story. One of the other books that uh, I wrote, again, with Mary's help in 2006 or eight, Make the Connection. Mm-hmm. I always forget the year. Me too. So I wrote that book about making the connection, connecting with people on a human, personal level as an important leadership trait. And I was coaching somebody, uh, I'm going to say somebody who was in the banking finance industry, and he wanted to be the CEO, but he was like, I think he was the COO of the bank. He said to me, Steve, I want you to teach me how to come across as more sincere and caring. I said, what do you mean? His name is Mike. I'll call him Mike because that was his name. So uh, <laughs> You know, every banker that's out there named Mike right now that you've ever coached is wondering if it's him. <laughs> no, but this guy, he actually said to me, Steve, I want people to see me as more empathetic and caring. Mm-hmm. And you talked about that in your book, Make the Connection. So I said, wait a minute, hold on. You want to be seen as more caring? He said, yes, I don't think people see me that way. And I said, uh, do you actually care? And he looked at me with this blank stare and he said, you mean for real? <laughs> and I said, yeah. He goes, well, uh, I never thought about it. Point being, caring about people is not a technique. It's not a leadership tool. Either you do or you mm-hmm. don't. I think that there is a small percentage that can fake it till you make it. I think there are a few. Uncaring? Yes, I do. They could try to pretend like they care they could maybe set in their phones a reminder of someone's birthday or anniversary or anything like check that. off the list check off the list and that can be perceived on the other end as caring but it's not genuine caring genuine caring is knowing what someone is going through and calling or asking and seeing how they're doing what does that have to do with leadership it has to do everything. One of the things that Larry had said when we were just speaking with him is you need to really uh, practice what you preach. And if you are expecting to get the respect from your team, you need to care about your team first. Of course, external is going to come later, the building of relationships with your clients and building your bottom line. But if you don't care and you can't show that to your internal team, they're not going to believe you, not even for a minute. By the way, you're just listening to Mary Gamba, who is she goes by different titles. I call her the vice president of marketing at mm-hmm. Stand and Deliver, the head of business relations. At I like Stand- CEO, Stand and Deliver. Sometimes that works. How could you be the CEO if I'm the CEO? Good point. I'm taking over your job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what we're going to talk about in a minute is some of the pressures that you face, we face mm-hmm. as leaders. But by the way, I, I want to do this. Um, let's thank, frankly, some of the clients of Stand and Deliver. Mm-hmm. And by the way, if you want to reach out on Facebook, it's Steve Adubato, A-D-U-B-A-T-O. PhD. Um, I got that from the great Rutgers University. I just want to be clear. And also uh, on Twitter, at Steve Adubato. Uh, go on our website, stand-deliver.com. 
But how about this? Some of our clients, New Jersey Resources, Gibbons, a major law firm, Horizon, Blue Cross and Blue Shield, New Jersey, Hackensack, Meridian Health, RWJ, Barnabas Health, Cone Resnick, MD, Advantage, and Valley National Bank, just to name a few. These are the clients we work with every day to try to make a difference and teach and coach leadership there. This is Steve Adubato. This is the Leadership Hour. We've got about five minutes left. By the way, I want to remind you to stay tuned if you're listening to the Leadership Hour on AM 970. Um, you're going to be hearing State of Affairs, uh, which is our public broadcasting programming. Let me, let me do this, Mary, in the time we have left. I was thinking a lot about this. The whole question of relationship building. Techniques. I mean, I know we said it's you can't check off the box. You have to genuinely care. But I also believe that you have to be strategic as a leader about relationship building and realize that I don't care how smart you think you are, how talented, how knowledgeable. Without other people, you can't get things done. Relationship building, is it an art form? It is. I, I know it is when it comes down to there's a reason why they say there's no I in team, because if you can't build relationships with the people around you, if you don't have that ability to delegate, you will not get things done. It depends. How about if someone says, excuse me, I only really trust myself to get it done because my name is on the line. I'm the leader. I have to do it myself, you say? I say I know exactly what you're saying because I often say that I don't play well on te on teams for that exact reason because no one is ever going to do anything to the degree that you want it done. I still have yet to find that one person that has that same bar that I set for Standards. myself. Standards. And I don't want to lower that bar, but you do hit a wall and you realize that you cannot do everything on your own. So you do need to lean on people, but that involves teaching them feedback, all of those things that we were talking about earlier. Well, let's stay on this. Mm -hmm. By the way, in the Leadership Hour, we're going to be talking about coaching and mentoring and giving feedback and getting feedback and running great meetings and giving strong presentations and how to deal with conflict well, how to negotiate. Um, the whole question in one of the chapters in my book, Lessons in Leadership, is you cannot lead others until... You can lead yourself. And I've also talked, and I talk specifically in that book. If you want to check out the book, by the way, it's at stand-deliver.com. I write in that chapter how many screw-ups I've had as a leader, how many mistakes I've made as a leader, how many things I regret as a leader, um, because I believe, I don't care if you coach, write, teach about this stuff, if you don't acknowledge how you screwed up and take responsibility, you're a fraud as a leader. Exactly. I think that any leader who can easily point a finger at their team before they point it at themselves is not a great leader, period. Okay, but let's stay on that. we got about two minutes left. I am a finger pointer. Admit, would you, would you acknowledge that? That's really nice that you just acknowledge that on it out to the public. That's great. It's good. Well, I wrote it. I listen. <laughs> I wrote in the book, Brian Brodeur, our, our, I was going to say our production guy, he's, he's so much more than that. He handles everything. He makes everything happen here at his studio. Uh, Brian, we've been out on shoots with Brian and his team. We've been in, on the public broadcasting side. Sure. We've had situations. And when things go wrong, let's just say I've had to work my butt off to not point fingers and blame very quickly mm -hmm. because when I do... People shut down. People shut down. And and to your credit, over the years, it has flip-flopped where you realize, yes, you need to acknowledge what someone has done and a mistake that somebody has made. Or they didn't even get the job done at all, but go ahead. 
Exactly. And but then you need to go into solution mode, as you and I have talked about all the time. You can't just point How a finger. Quickly? I don't get there very quickly. It, you and I will vary. <laughs> <laughs> I believe immediately once you acknowledge that a problem has been happened, um, then you immediately go into problem solving. But why mode. can't you? I want to get the person to admit that they screwed up. Often that person has admitted that they have screwed up, and sometimes that's still not enough, and that's okay. You but mean then, for me? Yes. I don't let it go. Never, but don't then- <laughs> say never. Hold on, it's the steam out about a leadership hour. You just said no, no. In those situations, it's it doesn't need to be so black and white, though. Is my point. Once you acknowledge that a problem has happened, go into the solution mode and fix it. There's not enough energy to do both. There's not. It's too draining. Well, as you can see, Mary and I are going to have spirited conversation. Uh, we are not going to agree on everything. She is not going to tell me what I want to hear. She hasn't done that for 19 years, and it's part mm-hmm. of the reason. We have such a great professional and personal relationship. This is the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour on AM 970. You're also going to hear us on a follow-up podcast. Check out the second half of uh, the Leadership Hour so you can find out what's going on in the state of New Jersey and the nation and how the leaders that we have elected um, and also all kinds of other leaders are dealing with difficult issues. This is Steve Adubato. I'm here with my great colleague, Mary Gamba, who actually is the real leader in this partnership on this team. She makes it happen every day. And we cannot thank you enough for... Joining us for the initial premiere broadcast of the Leadership Hour. Mary, you good? I'm good. It was great. We'll check you out next week. Thanks for joining us, folks. This is Mary Gamba. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with State of Affairs with Steve Adubato, where we look at the most pressing issues facing the state of New Jersey. Hi, I'm Patrick Dunnikin. At Gibbons, we believe that citizens need to be informed about the complex issues that affect their lives. That's why we're proud to support the programming produced by the Caucus Educational Corporation and their partners in public television. State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is brought to you from the Agnes Veris NJTV studio at Two Gateway. Funding has been provided by the law firm of Gibbons PC, RWJ Barnabas Health, the Northeast Regional Council of Carpenters, International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, Verizon, NJ Best, New Jersey's 529 College Savings Plan, Turn a Dream into a Degree, and by New Jersey Resources. Promotional support provided by NJ Biz, All Business, All New Jersey, and by Meadowlands Regional Chamber, building essential connections that drive business growth. Welcome to State of Affairs. I'm Steve Adubato, and we're coming to you from the Agnes Varis NJTV studio in Newark, and we're honored to have the president of the New Jersey State Senate, Steve Sweeney. Good to see you, Mr. President. It's great to see you again, Steve. And looking forward to a full, by the way, it's a full half hour with the Senate president. We'll cover a range of issues. Uh, by the way, having fun down there in the State House these days? Uh, budget time's never fun. It's, and it never seems to be different, Steve. Since I've been in the legislature, every year I've been there, we've been broke. So it's, uh, it's a challenge to try to provide for programs that are important. And, uh, you know, it's, it's always a challenge, but I always have fun personally. You know that. You do. And you don't take it personally. Um, but I'm curious about this. The budget process, people might say, who don't understand or follow, it's not their job to follow the arcane process of legislative 
activities or budget activities. Oh, so what, what's this thing about the end, the last day of June, the budget has to be struck, and if it's not struck, it's not agreed to by the legislature and the governor, the state shuts down, which has happened before. This is not just a hypothetical. What really does take place without telling us what you can't tell us? What really is going to take place between you, the governor, and the speaker of the assembly, Craig Coffin, who will be joining us soon, and others? Well, our goal is to get the budget done early, Steve. I actually, after John Corzine's administration shut the budget down one year, I asked you know, all the leaders, and I wasn't in the leadership, I said, do we have to wait You were not the president. No, I, and, I, and I was just become the majority leader. And I said, do we have to wait till June 30th to pass a budget? And they said, no. I said, then why do we wait till the last day? And for seven years with Christie, we got the budgets done early. In fact, the press hated it because there was no drama. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. in the middle of June, we were passing the budget. Well, you know, last year we had to shut it down because the governor and I and the speaker, we were all in a different place. So the goal is for the speaker and I and the governor to come to an agreement on the things that are matter, matter the most. And we agree on most things. Mm -hmm. You know, we were surprised with some of the things that got cut out of the budget because they were, they were real Democrat priorities that were added in last year. But we're confident that governor has the same uh, care and concern mm. for uh, programs like Governor McGreevy runs with reentry. New Jersey reentry for uh, prisoners, providing them the training and the services they need not to go back into prison, correct? Exactly. Right, as we speak, excuse me, we're taping this on April the 10th. As we speak right now, that item, I believe it's $5 million. It's been zeroed out. Translate that. Where there's no money now. Where there was money to fund this program, it's gone. CASA, court-appointed special advocates. Why does that matter to the rest of us? Because they're providing a service to, to people that, you know, to kids, you know, when they go to court. They're providing a service for free. They're volunteers. But we have to put some money in it to take care of it. School funding, Steve, school funding is, is, is the major, major State issue. State funding of public schools based on a 2008, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. law? Yeah. And Where are we with that? Well, we spent 18 months fighting to start fixing the, the problems, and we started fixing it last year. Under Governor Christie, uh, Governor Murphy has funded the formula without taking into account that districts are overfunded, are getting more money, and districts that are underfunded are really not getting the proper percentage. But again, I'm confident working with the governor, mm. working with the speaker, we'll fix these things. You're hearing a lot about this during the budget. Our goal was to find a solution to the problems. and. Uh, you know, I, I've been the Senate president now. This is going on my ninth year, and I look forward to working with Phil Murphy and, 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 and Craig Coughlin. We, you know, the new speaker and I have a great relationship. Uh, we disagree, we disagree, and, and as Democrats, you're going to see us argue publicly. Mm. It happens. You know, it's not like the Republicans. We do disagree. Well, excuse me for interrupting, uh, Mr. President. Some, might, some people might say, hey, look, the Democrats control this governorship. They control the Senate. They control the lower house and the assembly. They should be able to get anything they want done because they're all Democrats. They all agree on the same stuff, you say. We're all different, and we all have different priorities. You know, Steve, that's the point. But we're not that far apart on a lot of things. We're very close. But it's, it's right. always the devil's in the detail in order to get something done. You know, philosophically, I think we're very much in the same place. So, you know, it just comes down to where do we go mm. and how do we craft a budget and, and you know, after what they did in Washington, the Trump tax cut, which is an increase to New Jersey. Let's talk about that. The Trump tax plan, which many people say um, certain income earners are going to be okay, do well, do better. But as you live in New Jersey, a very high 
property tax state with a relatively high income tax level, you can only deduct $10,000 of your state and local taxes. Now, for some of us who pay well beyond that in yeah. property taxes, and anyone, right, or you pay your state income tax, it's just 10 grand and that's it. Why is that bad for New Jersey? Well, because when you limit, the, look, we were able to, re, you know, deduct our property taxes before. We were able to deduct our income taxes before. All of it. All of it. Now we can't. So, you know, as someone that sponsored the millionaire's tax, Steve, five or six times. You did. I did. And voted for it. That was then. What we're dealing with now is, is today is now. And the room that we had, the ability that we could have to look at that then, I mean now, is different than it was then. We can't do it right now. Hold, hold on. Respectfully, you know, Senator, the governor is saying, look, I'm not thinking, well, I'm not saying what the governor will be on and he'll speak for himself, but he's saying we need this millionaire's tax. We need to raise the state income tax on people who earn over a million dollars. I believe um, from where we are right now, 8.9% to over 10%. 10.75. He's saying I don't want to do it, but we have to do it in order to bring in the revenue to fund the pension, to fund the public school system, to do the things we want to do. You don't disagree with that philosophically? I, I disagree with where we're going right now because, Steve, we have structural problems. We're not talking about the, the spend side. There's a problem with the state government right now. You know, we have a structural problem with our pensions, with our health coverage. Right. And that's eating up more and more of the budget and it's crowding out more and more programs. So my point is, listen, you want to raise taxes, that's, 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 that's in my mind, the last stop. You think it's a mistake? I think it's the very last place to go. Because, Steve, we're having an affordability issue in this state. And when people say, well, they can afford it, millionaires can afford it, it's very popular politically. Tax them. Again, I sponsored the bill. I moved the so bill. So you believe in it philosophically? Except that not now, not after what happened with Trump. So I'm saying I'm not ruling anything out, but they're of the last resort, not the first. Are you worried about losing? We've had some disproportionately Republicans. We had the, the Republican budget officer, right, Jackie, in the assembly on today, Assemblyman DeMeo, come on and say, look, we're going to lose higher income New Jerseyans who have the option of moving to Pennsylvania with a lower income tax, Florida with no income tax, New York with a slightly lower income tax. Are you worried about the same thing? I'm very concerned about it. And again, I keep going back. I sponsored it. But it's different today than it was a year ago because today we're dealing with the federal so-called tax cut that was actually a tax increase and doesn't give us the ability to have our high, earners, high, our high earners write it off. It's a problem, Steve. It's a big problem. But you, okay, but um, Mr. President, you say instead of the millionaire's tax, uh, you introduced the idea of a corporate tax increase. Yeah. Explain that to folks. Listen, I looked at that, and I'm not even sure about that at this point, but I looked at that as, look, if you're looking at who was the winners under the Trump tax cut, it were, they were C-corporations. You have C-corporations, which are large companies that are in New Jersey. Uh, they, they're going to get $2.9 billion. I have a friend who owns a grocery store. It's going to get like $7 million in tax, you know, in, in tax benefit from what Trump did. He's not selling one more gallon of milk, not one loaf of bread. So this is a windfall. And I was looking at, and I'm trying to compromise, Steve. You know, you try the to governor. Trying to compromise, of course. But as I'm looking at it, until we really start talking about the spend side, 
you know, we can't just keep going and raising taxes. We have to have a conversation that you have to fix both sides. It's a scale. And if you get out of whack too much, then, then it doesn't work. Okay, talk about spending. Are there specific cuts that you say to yourself or reductions in state government services where you say, you know what, we shouldn't be spending this money anymore and we could save those dollars and put less pressure on the need to potentially tax? Steve, I talk about this. Right now we got 600 school districts in the state mm -hmm. of New Jersey. Some don't have a high school. Yeah, some don't have high schools. Well, in other states like Maryland, they switch from local school districts to county school districts. You could go to 21 school districts instead of 600. But that would be really a radical decision. So we start looking at it. We said, why don't we look at K to 6, mm. K to 8, and just make all school districts K to 12? Because the 6th and 8th grade schools are going to the high school. What we found out is those school districts do not coordinate curriculum with the kids going to high school. That's the number one problem. Right. But we could reduce school districts from 600 to 320. When I start talking about spend side, and you know something? How would that save money, by the way? Well, it's because you're going to have uh, 280 less superintendents, uh, boards, education. And listen, it's not, a, it's not the end all to be all, but the pension, Steve. Look, we did benefit reforms in 2011 that if we didn't do them, the pension system today would have been bankrupt. The public employee pension situation. Yeah. When you and largely Governor Christie yeah. came together and said, we must do this. The keys to that were, A, uh, asking more public employees that they sacrifice more, yeah. B, a formula in which the state of New Jersey would put more dollars into the public yeah. employee pension fund over time. It's been very hard to keep up with that. Anything else I'm missing? No. But, but listen, Steve, we, we, we saved $120 billion by making changes that we didn't want to do. But leaders don't get to do what they want to do. They do the right thing. We changed it, we saved it. The pension system would have been broke for teachers last year. Now, we need to do further changes. You know, there was a report from uh, uh, Tom, Tom Byrne and, and uh, Mr. Healy. Tom Byrne, who was a former, I think, co-chair of the Pension Commission yeah. that examined this. And they're not that far off on what they're looking at. And th when I say structural problems, Steve, we're gonna be up to $6 billion in pension payment. Which oh, means out of a thirty-six or thirty-seven billion dollar yeah. budget, six billion will have to go to the pension payment. It'll, it'll be forty billion at the time we get there, the way we're going. And, and Stephen, it's just like the spend, like we talk about spending and creating new programs now. Mm. If this is the first installment, and I gave and I agreed all the tax increases, what taxes are next year? You know what I'm saying? Because. Yeah. I got to fund the programs the following year, the following year, and the following year. That's why we have to deal with the pension. The pension payment, if they hadn't screwed around with the pensions, going back to Whitman, we you would... You mean not make payments? Yeah, not We're make... up against a break right here. I promise I'll get it. Um, you, you, stay right there. Yeah. We are talking about an issue that matters to everyone in the state is the public employee pension crisis we're all impacted by. We're here with the... Honorable um, Senate President Steve Sweeney, we're coming to you from the NJTV studio in Newark, the Agnes Veras studio in Newark. Um, we'll be right back right after this. To see more State of Affairs with Steve Adubato programs, visit us online at stateofaffairsnj.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD, and follow us on Twitter at Steve Adubato.
Welcome back. I'm Steve Adubato. The gentleman you're about to see on camera is the Honorable Steve Sweeney, President of the State Senate in New Jersey. Finish the uh, whole discussion about public employee pensions. What's at stake for all of us, and why does it have to get addressed? Well, Steve, if, if they hadn't screwed around with the pensions in the past, the pension payment would be $1 billion. This year, we're putting $3.2 billion in. That's $2.2 billion we don't have to go to other programs, obviously, because we don't have the money. So the pensions are going to continue to just grab all the dollars coming into the budget, which means programs that we care about aren't going to get funded. So there has to be a discussion, a new set of discussions going forward with the administration, with the labor unions sitting down and talking, saying, what do we do for, for the new workers? What can we do? Versus those that are grandfathered. Yeah. What can we do to fix these things? There's things called pension averaging, Steve, where you, you, know, like you hear about people get, getting, getting jobs and boosting their pensions at the end. Well, there's discussions about pension averaging, which is they average your, 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 what you made through your career, and they base your pension off Not that. Not the highest salary, which yeah. is right now, which is pretty high. But the point is, we have to have discussions on this. Can, can I get some quick answers, hopefully, to some things? Sure. Minimum wage, $15 an hour minimum wage in the state of New Jersey. Make sense? It makes sense if we do it right. And again, this is where the governor and I agree, and I think the, and the speaker agree. We all agree on the idea of $15 minimum wage. It's what what exemptions do you make in it, Steve? It, you know, and these are questions. What about the the guy that owns the bagel shop or, or the woman that owns a bagel shop with three employees? How's that work? Seasonal kids, f uh, uh, farm workers right now because it's a commodity. We know if you're buying apples out of out of Oregon and it's three cents a pound cheaper, guess what? It's going to you know they're not buying them from here. You're saying certain exemptions. Yeah, we have to talk about what it looks like. <sighs> How about this one? Legalizing marijuana in the state of New Jersey, yes or no? Thousand percent on board. Thousand percent. Yeah. So some of your colleagues, like Senator Ron Rice, has said, let's decriminalize marijuana, not legalize it, you say? I'm against <clears throat> decriminalization because that's actually legalizing <clears throat> an illegal activity. If you legalize it, then you can regulate it and manage it and get the stuff off the corners. You know, you know, Steve, or, or it would make no sense to buy stuff on the corner. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I have the greatest respect for Senator Rice. I'm thrilled that he's going around holding hearings. He's, he's, okay. he's, he's got a discussion going, but I'm for legalization. Uh, do this. Uh, the, again, this may change after, soon after we're taping this program on April the 10th. The issue having to do with the nuclear power subsidy down in a $3 million nuclear power subsidy, uh, PSEG involved in this one of the underwriters of public broadcasting and of what we do. You have been in favor of that subsidy. Yeah. Because? Because if we lose 39% of our power, it's going to cost more. It's not going to be cheaper. It's supply and demand, Steve. You know, you see a fight right now on pipelines coming into the state. You know, there's a big right. battle over that. Well, it'll cost more to generate power. It'll be generated out of the state and shipped into the state, we're going to lose $2 billion of economic in, in, impact from the thousands of workers that are affected by that. And it, it's a zero carbon emission. You know, so it's actually the best deal we have on the table. But don't we need, in terms of a, a, comp, in terms of a comprehensive energy policy, I'm not advocating for the administration to do it for themselves, don't we need all the different sources of energy? We do. We need, listen, we need gas. We need nuclear. We need solar. And we need wind. We need to have a diversified energy portfolio. And if we don't keep the, so the nuclear piece in, the other ones won't work. Because solar and wind are very expensive, very expensive. So you need gas and you need nukes to try to keep the cost down, even though we're talking about a potential. Listen, 
All we're doing is mm. passing a bill that gives the potential for a subsidy. There's no guarantee. And Ralph Izzo, the other day, the head of uh, PSG. PSG, announced they were cutting gas prices on average 75 cents. Worst case, I mean $75 a year. Right. That's the average. The worst case scenario is $31. If they can demonstrate there's a need, they have to demonstrate the need. Real quick on this, before we let it go, uh, someone says, hey, wait a minute, are you creating a precedent with this subsidy for other utilities, you say? No. We're not. There's a one-shot situation. Yeah, because, because it carries so much of our energy portfolio. <sighs> Let's do this. Um, I'm curious about a couple of areas, but one of them I want to get to has to do with um, early child care, if you will, yeah. birth to three, prenatal care. Where does this fit into your agenda? Steve, you know, Senator Ruiz... Teresa Ruiz, representing this area right up here, who is in the leadership? It's the Senate pro tempore. She's my She's partner. a new mom. I know that. She's a new mom. She's my partner. But she's been the strongest advocate for early childhood education. And we actually look at it as we would love to get it from birth. Yeah, I'm Steve. not talking just the, no. the universal pre-K, 4 to 5. I'm talking about birth. birth. Go ahead, talk about that. We're talking from birth. Because 85% of the human's brain develops from birth to five years old. That's right. So the sooner we get young people, Steve, I have a daughter with Down syndrome. She went to, uh, you know, we went to, we, we took her to classes, early intervention, as soon as she was born. And here's a child with a disability that was learning right out of the gate. She benefited mm -hmm. from getting a child early on, strengthens that child's intelligence and their ability and, and their ability to deal with conflicts. You know, it just makes that child so much more of a, a, a reliable or competent or steady person going forward. By the way, before we get off this, you and I have been talking on the air for a lot of years and off the air at times. How's your daughter doing? Steve, she's amazing. You know, How she, old is she? She's 25. She works at a daycare center. She's so proud to bring home a check. Uh, whenever I, you know, people say you light up when, when you talk about her, but you know, because what I learned with Lauren is she did everything the hard way. We take things for granted because they just come to us. And that was the greatest gift I got from my daughter, is, is, is the understanding of all the hard work that goes on. So I don't take anything for granted. You know, we're very blessed. You know, we really are very blessed. Brother, one time you told me it's part of the reason why you went to public life. It is. It is the reason. Um, infrastructure. Gateway tunnel. Yeah. The state can't do it alone. New York and New Jersey can't do it alone. Need the feds, the Trump administration. Huge issue. Well, you know, we're fortunate. Senator Booker has done a great job. With United Men States Senator Cory Booker. And, and Senator Menendez, along with her counterparts, you know, to make sure money was included this over year. New York Schumer yeah, and Schumer. Gillibrand. Yeah, and, and, you know, and we had a great advocacy here with, you know, it was bipartisan. It was, it was Tom Kane. It was Joe Carrillos. It was, it was Bob Gordon. It was Loretta Weinberg. It was myself and others that we, we went to the Port Authority. You know, we kept banging away. The, the, the Gateway Project wasn't even in their 10-year capital plan mm. before we started really raising red flags. And I take, not I take credit, but I think New Jersey should take credit because they raised the flag and, and raised enough hell to get it on everybody's radar. And we have to have that tunnel. If we don't? Well, if, if they have to shut down one tunnel, we lose 75% of the train traffic. And if Donald Trump says, hey, not my problem, it's a New York, New Jersey problem, you say? It's wrong. This is this is a national issue. 
It's not just New, New York, New Jersey. This is, the, this is the Northeast corridor. It affects all the states in the Northeast and it, ha and it has a major impact. You know, we have, you know, God, I forget what the percentage of gross domestic product comes out of this area. It'll cripple us. For a couple minutes left. Uh, what issue have I missed on your agenda for 2018 that you want to drive, whether it's in the budget or beyond? Well, like I said, school funding is, 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 is a top priority for us, getting it right and fixing it. Because right now, you know, you hear people saying we don't want to pit kids against each other. Well, we're already pitting kids against each other. Right. When you're funding districts at 20 percent and other districts at 130 percent, that can't continue, Steve. And, and, and it was the creation of the legislature years ago when we did the formula. We put some things in to try to be fair to everybody, and they were supposed to be temporary, and they never went away. So now you have school districts that are getting funded for 18,500 kids that aren't in the schools. And then you have other school districts that have 12,500 kids that actually physically have the kids that get no funding for them. Uh, I'm going to ask you about the tone and tenor uh, of politics today real quick, but give me some, uh, 30 seconds on autism, where we are on that. You know, Steve, as someone who's an advocate, for special needs kids and, and adults, autism is we're there. There's there's just so much to do. There's so many state role. The state has an enormous role, uh, and but you know, locally in our schools, the, under, the understanding that we have and the way we can reach kids. You know, the kids are inside. It's just trying to reach them. And, and you know, autism is a spectrum. Yes. It's I know your sister's close on this. I built a school in Gloucester County when I was yes, the federal director that was just for children. You know, like special ventilation systems where they made no noise, lights that didn't deflect. That's right. You know, and, and created an environment where children with autism can be productive citizens. All people with disabilities, if given an opportunity, Steve, can be productive. You just got to look beyond the disability. Yeah, by the way, the Senator makes reference to uh, my sister Michelle runs the Center for Autism up in Northern Jersey. You can check it out. Real quick before I let you go. Why does politics, I had Kevin O'Toole, who's someone you know and worked with very well, we had him on earlier today talking about the tone and tenor, the nastiness of politics today. Does it have to be that way? No, it doesn't have to be. How to get that way? You know, something because we don't talk to each other. You know, and, and it's all, it's all, I take it all. The, the art of compromise has gone. It's, you know, we're taking it all one way or another. There's no, like, bargaining or reasoning. I love Kevin. Kevin's a friend of mine. He's doing a great job at the Port Authority. You know, he was supported by Democrats. Yep. Uh, you, a few you, seconds left. Go you ahead. know, so we got to stop fighting. We Doesn't have to be this way. No, not at all. We are going to monitor the tone of the tenor in the State House, and I want to thank you, the Honorable State Senate President Steve Sweeney, for joining us on State Thanks, of Affairs. Steve. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. Stay right there. That is it for this edition of State of Affairs. Let's continue the conversation. Follow me on Twitter at Steve Adubato, I promise you, we'll see you next week. Thank you very much. State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is a production of the Caucus Educational Corporation, celebrating over 25 years of broadcast excellence. State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is brought to you from the Agnes Veris NJTV studio at 2 Gateway. Funding has been provided by the law firm of Gibbons PC, RWJ Barnabas Health. The Northeast Regional Council of Carpenters. International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825. Verizon, NJ Best, and by New Jersey Resources. And by these public-spirited organizations, individuals, and associations committed to informing New Jersey citizens about the important issues facing the Garden State. You may not have heard of TAVR. Raj and Sandia have. It's the minimally invasive alternative to open-heart valve replacement. 
RWJ Barnabas Health is New Jersey's leading TAVR provider, and we continue to perfect it. Patients are often back to their lives in just a few days. Innovative valve replacement surgery, because you can't be replaced. RWJ Barnabas Health, let's be healthy together.